You are now listening to The Big Trade with Peter Pham, enlightening conversations for maximum market returns. Jeff, thank you for coming on The Big Trade series. I think that this is a very critical time, as you're going to uh, probably discuss about. So it would be great if you could introduce yourself to the audience and maybe we can dive in on some of the key issues that are happening in the financial markets. Absolutely. Great to be on with you. Uh, for people who don't know me, my name is Jeff Berwick. I write The Dollar Vigilante, which I've been writing since 2010. And uh, in 2010, I stated that we have no more than five to 10 years before the US dollar backed based financial system collapses. And uh, we are now in 2015, so we just hit the first uh, window where I said it's possible. And interestingly enough, uh, a lot of things have been happening in the last year that I have been speculating that we're very close to at least a very serious financial crisis at this point in time. And so I've been covering that uh, all throughout the summer, and I've been expecting this fall for there to be a financial crisis. Now, if there isn't one this fall, exactly, uh, I, I don't expect it to be much longer. It would be very early in 2016 in my my opinion. And in fact, I actually said in July that uh, I was expecting a major crisis to happen sometime around September. And it was in August when 23 stock markets around the world all crashed. The Dow was down uh, its largest intraday point drop in history of over 1,000 points and a lot of chaos at that time. So we saw sort of what I I think now, uh, looking back on it, now we're almost into November. uh, I think it was a pre-shock to what's coming. So in regards to um, the Shemitah, which you kind of identify as one of the key catalysts, I, I think I would ask you in terms of this being a jubilee year, and maybe you can elaborate more on that as well as one of the conflicts I see to this thesis is that, um, as you're going to see, there's a lot of uh, political elections happening the world over. And what I've noticed is typically on election years, there tends to be some component of overall um window dressing for the incumbent parties, which effectively mean that um, no uh, state wants to see equity markets collapse, especially on the verge of political elections. Now, I know that you're going to introduce a ton of interesting catalysts as well. So I think what would be great for the listeners to hear this juxtaposition of interesting views to determine their own um, thesis. So, so I'd love to hear the, the counter to this, this very well-known cycle, which is basically election years and where 50% of at least the world's GDP um, is going through political elections. Yes, unfortunately, as you pointed out, Peter, uh, most of the things involved in the financial, monetary, and economic systems today are so controlled and uh, dependent upon uh, politicians and central bankers. And this is one of the things that I strive against. At the Dollar Vigilante, I say uh, I'm a freedom fighter against mankind's two biggest enemies, the state and the central banks. And you pointed out a very good thing in that in in a regular economy, in an economy that didn't have any manipulation or any involvement by governments or central banks, uh, that we wouldn't have all these. Uh, they, they, the reason they say the central banks, funnily enough, when they instituted the Federal Reserve in a financial coup and takeover of the U.S. In, on December 24th, on Christmas Eve, 1913, mm. uh, they said it was to be because the markets would be too volatile without a central bank, without a centrally planned communist tenant, actually. Uh, central banking is a tenant of communism. Mm-hmm. Uh, without that, we, we'd have too much volatility. And what you just pointed out is, well, we have that kind of volatility 
facility all the time still, and actually it's, it's much bigger, thanks to all of the manipulations and all the distortions that they create through uh, central banking and inflation, which um, inflation is one of the worst things uh, in terms of an economy you can have, and uh, money printing, and that's all central banks really do, except for they also, manip- they also price fix, they manipulate the interest rate, which is uh, illegal if anyone else does it, but when they do it, it's fine, and as well as counterfeiting uh, money, which is what uh, money printing is, or QE as they call it. They always have nice words for what they do, which would be illegal if anyone else did it, but when they do it, it's fine, and they're very well respected, uh, and it's ridiculous. And uh, so, yeah, you pointed out that uh, there's uh, so much to the markets, uh, especially, is really tied into what these people do. It's really sad that we have an economic and financial system that is dependent on one old woman who seems to have some sort of uh, Alzheimer's or something, Janet Yellen. Uh, she's, uh, uh, just, you know, everyone watches her to see what's going to happen. This is insanity. That is complete communism at its, at its core to have a central planner deciding how things are decided. So, yes, it's a crazy system. And as you pointed out, I, uh, over the summer, I realized that there seems to be uh, some very uh, eerie um, dates and times that things seem to happen. And I came upon that after I read Jonathan Kahn's book, The Harbinger, which talked a lot about 9-11 and the fall of, of the U.S. in terms of biblical terms and things like that. But at the time, I wasn't so much interested in that. But what I was interested in was he pointed out something called the Shemitah, which is something in the Jewish Torah that uh, happens every seven years. And that supposedly God is supposed to forgive all debts every seven years. And uh, it, this was followed very uh, much by uh, Jewish people uh, throughout most of um, human history. And uh, now, as we know, most of these uh, central banks, the IMF, the Federal Reserve, all the other central banks, and, and a lot of the other uh, sort of main people, people who are at the, the uh, Treasury, the Secretary, all of them all have some sort of Jewish sort of background. And so it, it, it makes sense that if they were going to have some sort of nefarious timeline when they decide to do things, that it would be based on that calendar, uh, based on, on the Jewish sort of uh, tradition. And so what really uh, uh, got my interest about the Shemitah was Jonathan Kahn said that in 2008, uh, the, just uh, before I get ahead of myself, the Shemitah, uh, it lasts about a year, but it's not on our Gregorian calendar, it's on the Hebrew calendar, so it doesn't land on the same year in our calendar every year, but it's pretty close. And uh, it lasts for about a year. And on the last day of the the Shemitah, uh, uh, for the last two Shemitahs, which was 2008 and 2001, both had the biggest uh, point collapse to that date in history on the exact day. That happened to be September 17th in 2001, which was just a few days after 9-11, which was orchestrated by the Project for a New American Century, people like Donald Rumsfeld and Dick Cheney, uh, and they planned that, and they opened the, the stock exchange on September 17th, and uh, the uh, the um, uh, Dow Jones Jones fell its biggest point drop ever on that day. And that was the exact end day of the Shemitah that year. And if you go seven years later to the exact end day of the Shemitah in 2008 was September 29th, which had the biggest, again, point collapse in history. And in fact, something really strange happened that day. The bell on the New York Stock Exchange for the first time ever wouldn't ring, which was fairly ominous looking back at it. And then this year uh, was the end of the Shemitah year on September 13th. Now, September 13th of this year was a Sunday. So we knew there couldn't be the biggest point collapse in history on the Dow, on the New York 
Stock Exchange on the end day of the Shemitah this year because it was a Sunday. But I was following it very closely, and there was a lot of things going on, including essentially the the total uh, washing away of the European Union on that exact day. That was the day that many countries reinstituted reinstituted border controls in uh, Europe, uh, including Germany, Austria, many others, all on that exact same day. So there, there's there could have been something to it. It could all just be coincidence. I'm not saying, uh, uh, but I, I I've been watching those dates. And uh, what's uh, very interesting as well is. If you look back at past Shemitahs, in 1987 was another Shemitah year, and of course everyone rem- remembers Black Monday, the biggest po- uh, percentage drop on the Dow uh, in one day of 23% in one day. And you can imagine 23% in one day today would be over 4,000 point drop on the Dow. So it was a massive uh, crash in the, in the market. And that happened just a few weeks after, or about a month after the Shemitah in 1987. So these things don't necessarily have to happen on or around those dates, and they could all just be coincidence, but it, there's a lot of coincidences. So i am still got my eyes very open for this fall. I still, I said there's going to be a, a major crisis this fall. We're only about a month into this fall now, so we have a few months left. And uh, if you look at what's going on in the world, both economically, militarily, financially, monetarily, Things look like they're on a razor's edge right now, and uh, people, if they if they uh, uh, don't realize that, they should start to look into it because you're not going to be told on CNBC what's really going on. So, Jeff, in terms of some of the upcoming catalysts that you are observing or actually are uh, coming up to you in terms of like your calendar, what um, interesting events could you see unfold? One of the key ones is the the interest rates decisions, which have been kind of extended. Um, many people uh, over the last uh, year or so were assuming that the the rates would um, increase sometime already, and that's yet to be the case. So, uh, what what key catalysts are are um, you keeping an eye on right now? Well, I actually said about seven years ago when they first started quantitative easing, I said that they will never raise interest rates again. And the reason I said that, and I've been right so far, and mm-hmm. uh, I, I always, every, every year someone always tries to slag me and say I'm an idiot, uh, but I have yet to be proven wrong. And uh, I don't know if I'll ever be proven wrong, and here's the reason why. The U.S. government has uh, so much debt now that if they were to allow interest rates to rise by any significant amount, and I'm not talking just 0.25%, but if they let it rise to 2 or 3 or 4%, there's now $18 trillion the U.S. government uh, has in debt. Right. So let's just do the easy math here, $18 trillion. If their interest rates rose to 10%, which is not a massive amount, that is a fairly uh, reasonable amount over human history for interest rates. Mm. Uh, even in China right now, their interest rates are around 5%. So, but let's just imagine it goes to 10% just so we can do the math easy in our heads because I went to public indoctrination camp, government schools, so I'm not very good at doing math without a calculator. Uh, but uh, $18 trillion, uh, if it was 10% interest rate, that'd be $1.8 trillion a year year that the U.S. government would owe in uh, interest payments alone. And that is almost entirely the entire budget of the U.S. government. So obviously at 10%, the U.S. government's insolvent. Uh, if that were to happen, and I don't think they're going to allow that to happen. I think uh, they're going to keep interest rates at zero or negative, which is what everyone is talking about now. And I, I mentioned that uh, years ago, that that was a possibility. And everyone said I was crazy. Right. Uh, but but uh, I'm kind of used to being called crazy now, so I don't mind. Uh, but, <laughs> but I'm almost not always right. But uh, I'm usually in the ballpark on a lot of these things. And um, so uh, if they uh, let interest rates rise to that amount, the U.S. government would be bankrupt. And of course, if the U.S. government 
government were to go under, and especially U.S. Treasury bills were to become worthless, that would have a massive, massive, massive effect on all of the economy of the globe because so many, so much of the debt is held by other countries, uh, held by so many people around the world, and uh, if for that to just turn into worthlessness would cause a depression unlike anything, uh, 1929 would look like the best day in human history right. uh, compared to what would happen. Uh, so the, their only other option, and of course they're all Keynesians and communists, is uh, to put interest rates negative, which is complete Keynesian Kool-Aid drinking nonsense, absolute insanity to charge people to let to to have them lo- give you money, right. uh, it makes no sense. Uh, but that's uh, because they're Keynesians and they're central planners and essentially socio-fascist communists. Uh, they uh, they are pushing for this, and we're seeing now in places like Denmark and Sweden, they're moving for a cashless society very fast. They've already moved interest rates negative. Uh, one Swiss banker, for example, uh, once he found out they're going to move interest rates negative, he tried to take out all the cash of his fund out from the bank and of course it was a big fund so it was like a billion euros or Swiss franc I forget which it was at the time I think it was euros and uh, the bank just said no and so he very quickly realized the end game here and this is going to happen all over the world uh, so that's what I think is, is more likely to happen, although I, I could be wrong. They could uh, allow interest rates to rise, but that will also uh, result in a complete decimation of the economy. If they keep interest rates at zero or negative, then we'll be headed very quickly for hyperinflation. And that is even worse than than uh, a default of the U.S. government and the treasuries uh, for the economy. Hyperinflation destroys uh, everything because you can't even transact. And, and luckily, though, we do have other alternative currencies now, including Bitcoin. Uh, so if uh, uh, currencies like the U.S. dollar and the euro all collapse, uh, we still can have an economy. Uh, but people need to be aware of what's going on because this is not this is going to be the biggest uh, paradigm shift in human history, and it's also the most dangerous time. Time and, and history for human capital, in my opinion. So, Jeff, I, I notice a lot of people discuss about like the foreign debt owners of the United States. Us two, actually being Canadians, uh, kind of look at this um, very objectively. But obviously, the United States is one of the world's largest economies. One of the, I hate to use the word, but one of the beautiful things of an economy post two thousand eight through quantitative easing is I've actually observed that the Fed has actually been able to acquire more U.S. debt. Uh, You know, it owns maybe, let's say, between 60 to 70 percent of U.S. government debt. So do you think that it is um, that severe of a concern about the United States, especially when people are referring to its reserve currency status or the fact that, uh, you know, the United States might default? Uh, Do you think if the largest... um, Debt that the U.S. government owns to is actually to the Fed um, actually counterbalances any concerns of fears from foreign debt owners. Well, I think it's going to be uh, so dangerous uh, of a time. Uh, already, the U.S. government is insolvent. Uh, right. They already they just uh, <laughs> Treasury Secretary Liu was just begging Cong- Congress a few days ago to please raise the debt ceiling uh, because it's uh, you, you know they were so close. On it was supposed to be November third that the U.S. government ran out of money, mm. and uh, they they just did pass in the House of Representatives. I don't know if they're going to pass it completely, uh, but uh, it looks like they're going to pass 
asset and they're going to raise the debt ceiling and just leave it open until 2017 now. So this is, I, I call it the debt target because they always hit it. It's not a debt ceiling. Uh, every year they hit it and then they, they create all this uh, entertainment in the media about how they're all fighting over trying to, to uh, get the budget better. But in the end, they just raise the, the debt limit and go more into debt. So this system's over in my opinion. Uh, the, China is moving away massively from uh, U.S. treasuries. Uh, they've been selling a huge amount this year. They are the biggest foreign holder uh, as, a, as a whole. And uh, they're selling. Uh, a lot of others are selling Russia. But, uh, so but Jeff, this system's I'm, uh, going to... What thinking is that in that instance, perhaps the central bank is absorbing all of this. And for better or for worse, that actually counterbalances or, or mitigates the concern about um, you know, foreigners dumping uh, treasuries? Well, if the Federal Reserve were to, for example, if uh, the, the treasury bonds were being sold at such a level by Chinese and everyone else in the world that right. the Federal Reserve had to buy them all, that would very quickly head towards a hyperinflation, in my opinion, because mm-hmm. there'd be two things that would happen. One would be that all... Um, Confidence. There's still some confidence for some reason in the U.S. and, and the U.S. Treasury debt, right. uh, which is ridiculous because it's the most uh, uh, unsafe place I think you can put your money, in my opinion. Um, so uh, what, two things would happen if they did that. One would be that the all confidence in the U.S. dollar and in treasuries would be lost very quickly because people would start to realize what's going on uh, mm-hmm. because – uh, you would just see the Fed buying all the U.S. government debt. And so people would run away from the U.S. Treasury debt. Right. Uh, that would cause massive, massive uh, changes in the economy for sure. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And it also, because the Fed would be printing up so much money to buy all this debt, it would, uh, and at the same time, people are starting to realize and lose confidence in the dollar. Uh, you could see the U.S. dollar enter into hyperinflation very quickly at that point. It already should uh, in most uh, senses be in hyperinflation but because so many people around the world still use it and still have some confidence in it right. uh, it hasn't yet gone into hyperinflation but they printed so much money over the last uh, decade that it should already be pretty close to hyperinflation uh, so that would that would kick off the hyperinflation and that would be really really bad um, and there'd be really no way to stop it at that point uh, they they <laughs> uh, at the very least the US government would have to essentially collapse which would be fantastic it would be the best day in human history that I can think of if the U.S. federal government disappeared, uh, the biggest terrorist organization on the planet. Uh, but, uh, it, you know, these, this is what, where we're at. This is why it's so important to be paying attention to shows like yours or even listening to things that I'm saying because this has never happened in human history. We've never had a totally fiat currency system around the world backed by nothing right. uh, because ever since 1971 when Richard Nixon took the gold backing temporarily away from the dollar, and I think it was temporary, it will return at some point, uh, gold will return at some point, but it still hasn't, uh, but uh, we've never had them all collapse um, and it's going to happen that way. I th- actually think the U.S. dollar is going to be one of the last to collapse. I think the yen is yep. going to be well before the dollar, and I think the euro is going to be well before the the dollar as well. In fact, the euro, I can't believe, is still even around uh, with all the things going on in Europe right now. Uh, it's on uh, very close to being gone. Uh, so uh, we've never had that. In the past, when we had hyperinflations, they've always been just in one country, and usually some small poor country like Zimbabwe or Venezuela or Argentina. Argentina wasn't that poor. They become poor after numerous uh, collapses of their currency over the last century. They used to be one of the richest countries in the world until they went 
went on this Keynesian socialist sort of program that the U.S. is now on. Uh, so we, in, in those days, like, for example, if you're in Zimbabwe during the hyperinflation, uh, people like us who are aware of what's going on, we would have changed our Zimbabwe dollars as quickly as possible for something else. Maybe it'd be U.S. dollars, maybe it'd be South African rand, maybe it'd be gold or silver. Uh, now, uh, with everything that I expect to be collapsing over the next few years, you won't have a lot of places to run, uh, and it won't be that easy. And it's actually getting harder to even get precious metals now. Uh, it's been very hard. Silver's been almost uh, impossible to buy around the world for the last few months. Uh, it's, uh, I, I'm in Mexico, and I went to all the banks around here, and I even called my friends in Mexico City, and there was no silver coins in Mexico for a number of months. I heard there's a few now, but not much. Uh, so I expect that at some point you won't be able to even buy precious metals in exchange for fiat currencies. And we're already starting to see that in some respects in terms of silver. So this is going to be very dangerous and tricky. Uh, and there is no way to know exactly what's going on or what's going to happen because we've never gone through anything like this before. So this is uh, definitely a time to pay attention. And for people who are listening, you might want to check out my website, surviveshemitah.com. It's hard to spell, but it's survive S. <laughs> it's very hard to spell. S h e m i t a h dot com, and we have a number of videos on there, which uh, started in July, and uh, I've made a, a two cents, and they're all still very relevant. And I really recommend people watch those to get a sense for for what I see happening and what's to come. Jeff, I'm going to actually, um, uh, as as a, a gesture. What I will do is I will actually give to you one of the domain names that I've also reserved, which I think you'll like a lot, which is actually shemita7.com. Uh, I, I think it fits with the numerology, and perhaps you can use that as well as one of those other sites that you can uh, post your, your video and content as well. I, I think that's arguably even a more, more simpler uh, domain um, as opposed to like uh, survive Shemita, but Shemita seven easy to remember because the seven is a very interesting number at least to many of these um, central planners. Going back to this this subject about inflation, what's been interesting and and I I actually might put on a, a skeptic cat hat to this one is that. We've seen the Fed actually manage to execute acquiring more U.S. Um, treasuries, basically from 2008 all the way up to, to now, and for inflation to be relatively controlled, at least the official numbers. Um, so I would caution the audience from just thinking that if, if they can continue to do what they're doing, we've seen the decline of basically Chinese uh, ownership of U.S. Treasuries since basically mid-2013 or the end of 2013, whereas the Fed has still been purchasing um, uh, U.S. Treasuries. So be, be cognizant of that for anyone that's listening about this, that, you know, things aren't going to really necessarily could potentially still be relatively controlled to some extent. Um, I also wanted to share to you, Jeff, is that actually the largest position that I have in my fund as of basically 2014, what I've done is I basically took all my AUM assets under management and actually put that into, for better or for worse, the U.S. dollar. And the rationale for that was basically it was the best currency in a very bad neighborhood. And I know we've discussed earlier about manipulation. What do you think is happening from the perspective of global currencies? And why is it a, all these other currencies seem to be doing a lot worse right now than the US dollar? 
Well, I think, uh, as I pointed out earlier, uh, that I do expect uh, most other currencies to collapse before the dollar. So we've actually been seeing that. And uh, yes, you made a good call by going into the dollar as cash. Uh, but I just question how long that's going to last. And as well, and here's the dangerous part, right? how you get those dollars out at some point, because <laughs> they're uh, uh you know, really cracking down on capital controls, FATCA, yes. the Foreign Account Tax Compliance Act. Uh, you try to move money around the world now, it's very hard. Uh, they're making it harder and harder. You know, it's really going to be a question of, uh, you know, I th the reason that I'm not all in U.S. dollars for the last few years is because I'm not that big of a risk taker. Because uh -huh. at some point, this gets very bad, and I'm not sure I'll be able to get out. Uh, because as I pointed out, I'm not sure if we'll be able to even buy precious metals for fiat currency much longer. Mm. Uh, not only is it harder to get because of demand, and, and uh, but it's also that uh, they uh, make it harder to buy uh, because all the regulations in the U.S., uh, they, you know, all sorts of paperwork you need to do if you want to buy some gold or silver, you'll be tracked and you'll have problems. Problems and uh, they could just easily raise taxes on, on buying gold if they want, if they see that as being a problem. So uh, I just see it more as just being cautious to stay away from the entire system because yeah. I know it's going to collapse. It's just a matter of when, and I'm just getting out. I'd rather be a year or two early than a day too late is, is essentially what I'm saying. Definitely. I, the funny thing is during the, um, your, your uh, projections of Shemitah, what's actually interesting, uh, for better or for worse, is that if you actually compare all asset classes over the last several months and examine their performance, um, one would actually observe that the U.S. dollar, surprisingly, was the one that did the best against all of those asset classes um, in that period of time. But you're definitely right is that um, there is a lot of capital controls that are being implemented. I run basically a Cayman uh, domiciled fund, and I know... Um, for compared to all people, I think I know best about the fact that um, it is extremely difficult this day and age to move capital outside of the country that you are from. And I spent a lot of time in Southeast Asia. I observed that as well in frontier and emerging markets. And I'm even observing that from um, the United States. Canada is also gradually becoming like that. Europe is becoming like that. So I generally believe that there will have to be um, asset managers are going to be have to be much more savvy about the kinds of products that they develop. And if if one is a believer in um, capital markets, you're going to want to have the best kind of product um, possible. And and yes, the, these things are going to be uh, more. These issues are going to be growing ever more so. And I think that for the individuals, they need to understand what the multinationals are doing and try to um, obtain as much valuable lessons as possible, even though they are individuals. So like, for example, you're based in Mexico now, and there are certain advantages to being like that. And I'm sure you have various different offshore accounts. And I'm, that, that allows you to navigate as almost an individual um, to do what you want with your, your capital. And, and I know that a lot of our friends, say, for example, in Canada, might actually still be very much restricted by that in terms of their equity portfolios, what they can hold, where they can hold it, how they're taxed. So these are all very interesting dynamics that um, everyone almost needs to be basically a global fund manager this day and age just to be able to um, get by. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely a time to be aware of what's going on and uh, 
definitely you're not going to find out what's going on on TV. On CNBC, the, the revolution will never be televised, and, and this one isn't as well. Uh, so you have to pay attention to shows like yours. Uh, look for fund managers like yourself who are aware of these things, and there's very few of you, by the way. Uh, you're one of the only ones that I've, I've uh, known. Uh, the only other one I can think of the top of my head is Chris Casey of Windrock uh, Wealth Management. Right. Uh, he'll be speaking. Actually, we're going to have a conference in Acapulco here in February uh, 18th of this coming year, and we're going to have Chris Casey there in a number of other really sort of people who understand what we're talking about. Uh, and uh, very few people still do. If you talk to your average fund manager on Wall Street, they have no idea what we're talking about. They don't even know what the Federal Reserve is, really. They just <laughs> think that's just uh, part of part of uh, what a free market is, is you have the Federal Reserve. And, you know, a lot of them are clueless. Uh, so uh, it is good to have people, uh, and you have to take a bit of your own. Um, uh, you have to take a, a responsibility for yourself a lot more uh, now, uh, which should always be the case anyway. Right. Uh, this has been the sort of society that we've been grown up in. They want us to give away, uh, not have any responsibility, to give our responsibility away to everyone else, to politicians, and to even uh, investment advisors. Just let them do it. Just let them do it. But it's really a time to to uh, take control of your own life right now and figure out what's going. On. And the positive part of that is that once you actually understand what's going on, you can really uh, see some real ways to profit from what is actually happening. For example, Bitcoin, as I, as I mentioned, I saw that as being a real paradigm shift in money in 2011 when it was $3. Uh, subsequently, it went over $1,000 in 2013. It's now back below. It's actually above 300 today. It was uh, $230 about a month ago. And I actually been telling subscribers to be uh, getting into Bitcoin around that level. So it's up about 30% in the last month. Uh, you can also see other uh, opportunities, but uh, it's, it's not the time to uh, be asleep at the wheel uh, if you have any assets. Uh, you, uh, there's so many ways you can lose those assets, uh, whether it's through a a collapse, for example, if you hold a lot of uh, assets just in the general stock market, right. uh, you could see a lot of that wiped away as people who are shareholders of Volkswagen found out recently. Uh, all it takes is the U.S. government to say, oh, you broke a rule, now give us all your money and destroy the whole company. Uh, then, as, as you pointed out very well, the capital controls are just being ratcheted up big time right now. So you have to be aware of that. Uh, find people like yourself, Peter, who are aware of it because you will have a much greater chance of uh, being able to uh, get around uh, these issues to come. And then, of course, if we head into hyperinflation and things like that, then uh, most people are going to lose anyway. So it's, a, it's really a time to be awake and aware. And turn off CNBC, turn off CNN. That's all lies anyway. Anderson Cooper's from the CIA. I don't know why anyone <laughs> thinks uh, that's news. It's not news. It's propaganda. And uh, time to wake up and take control of yourself. And if you do, uh, you have a great chance to not only survive uh, what's going to happen, and it's going to be a very dangerous period. An incredibly dangerous period, uh, but you also have a chance to profit from it if you want, uh, and and just improve your life uh, uh, by being ahead of the uh, of the crowd, uh, people who don't know this stuff. Uh, and once they find out, they will be barreling out of the financial system and into things like gold, silver, Bitcoin, hard assets, and other things. And you will already be there and in a position to profit. Maybe Jeff, what we could do is end the show off by um, maybe exploring some interesting investment ideas that you might be comfortable in. Um, discussing about um, that that might be a really cool way to end off the show 
Sure. Um, as far as investment ideas, I, I keep it pretty simple. At the Dollar Vigilante, we have a senior analyst at Bugos, and he looks into more uh, exact uh, stock picks and recommendations, and most of them are in uh, gold mining companies. So right. we stick pretty much to the precious metals, uh, and uh, they've actually been doing fairly well the last uh, month or two, which is very interesting. Uh, that's the first time in a long time that we've seen that. Uh, so this might be finally the bottom. It's been a tough few years for gold mining stock investors. Uh, for for myself personally, I just keep it simple. Uh, I mostly focus on just getting into a lot of hard assets, sometimes shorting the markets, uh, mm-hmm. which I did in August, uh, which I told subscribers about it, and subscribers actually invested. and put, We bought uh, way out of the money put options, expecting a fall financial crisis right. in July at about $0.06, cents, and they were about $2.50 in uh, late August when that uh, mini crash happened. And uh, so things like that, so we're working on another options trade right now to, I still expect uh, massive volatility, a massive crisis and chaos, uh, especially if you just look at the whole world right now, especially militarily. You have Russia, Israel, Iran, the U.S., and other countries all flying around Syria for some reason right now, all attacking different people, but the same people. No one's really sure. Uh, This could very easily escalate into a really crisis uh, situation. And uh, as you pointed out, we are in the Jubilee year, uh, which for people who don't know, I'll keep it brief, but uh, every seven Shemitahs, so every 49 years in the Jewish tradition is the the Jubilee year. And according to the Torah, every 50 years, uh, Jewish people are supposed to have land that was stolen from them returned to them. And interestingly enough, in the last two uh, Jubilee years, which is 1918, when the British Empire uh, retook Jerusalem from the Arabs, and 1967, which was the Six-Day War, where Israel uh, defeated the uh, the Arab states around it, uh, those were Jubilee years. So major, major events happened in Israel on those years. And we're now into a Jubilee. It just started last month, and it lasts for the next year. And uh, I expect some sort of major development to happen in the Middle East. It's just clear as day, if you're paying attention to what's going on, that this is not going to go away uh, quietly or easily. And now what the repercussions of that are, I don't know. But I actually was just looking today into seeing what kind of uh, Middle Eastern sort of stocks I could short uh, based on this thesis. (laughs) Jeff, I'm going to call you out with that prediction about uh, seeing something major happening in the Middle East. I think um, something always happens in the Middle East. So I'm I'm calling you out on that one right there. (laughs) Well, let me just say that uh, it'll be something way bigger than anything we've seen yet, uh, is my expectation. I expect uh, total uh, chaos war in that region. Although, uh, Russia's done a really good job of uh, stopping the U.S. war of terror, and uh, and the U.S. has been on the retreat in many ways. The U.S. is the biggest terrorist uh, organization in the world, the, the uh, CIA and the U.S. federal government. Uh, they've destroy all these countries just for fun and take over their, their uh, assets and give it to all their friends and, and things like that. But uh, we'll see what happens. I don't, I'm not saying, again, that something's going to happen in Israel or the Middle East uh, in this Jubilee year, but I'm saying the last two Jubilees, something major happened related to Israel. So it's, I'm definitely watched. Well, Jeff, thank you very much. Um, we got to do this again, and I will definitely follow up with you and we should um, continue to examine some of these events together. I'd love to. It's uh, been great, Peter. I love your work. Thank you. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this mastermind session. If you'd like to contact Peter Pham or Phoenix Capital, please email info at phx-cap.com.